Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. The book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, today I will endeavor, I I hope, I pray to to make it at least to verse 5, so if you've got your copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, go ahead and and take your Bible and and join me in turning to Acts. I I love the book of Acts. I've, I've enjoyed it since I was a young child. I think perhaps because the story, as its title suggests, is a book of action. But it's it's not just a story, right? It is it is a history, it's a meticulously researched historical account of the rapid spirit-empowered expansion of God's word and kingdom across linguistic and geographic and cultural barriers. And and I'll I'll pause there and say, if the book of Acts is true you have to consider who Jesus is. If if there's really a band of 11 apostles who claim to have walked with someone for three years of ministry preaching about the kingdom of God, who they then saw crucified, and then they saw living again, go into the ends of the earth with this message, and this message overspreads the globe in about a generation and a half, or the known world in a generation and a half, you have to ask, why was that possible? Because there's no other religion in the world that's done that. You see, a lot of religions that remain isolated to an ethnicity or to a language for centuries, but in a generation, Christianity is going to the ends of the earth. This is the history of the miraculous overspreading of the globe of the church in the power of Christ. And as a history, we we need to be careful how we apply what we read in Acts to the life of the church. There are some things that we're going to read in Acts that are continuing for the church today, and there's some other things we're going to read in Acts that are characteristic of a period of transition as the authority is handed from Christ to His apostles, and then the church lives on the basis of apostolic authority that is captured in the Word. So, what do you, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, here's, here's an example. Although Paul gets bitten by a venomous snake and is not hurt, that doesn't mean if you love Jesus and trust Jesus and go on a mission trip and get bit by a venomous snake, that maybe that, that you're not going to get hurt, right? We should, we should be careful about venomous snakes, right? We should be wise and not just run around. We, we're not handling snakes because Paul was bit by a venomous snake and was okay. Are you all tracking with me? So, so that's one example, but there will be several things we're, we'll encounter in Acts where we'll have to say, okay, is that... Is that normative? Is that the normal practice for the church today? Or was that signifying the miraculous work of God, credentialing the apostles as they carried the word of God? So we'll, we'll tease that out as we work through the book of Acts. Acts is written by Luke, who was often the traveling companion of Paul. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, Paul calls Luke, the beloved 
physician. In 2 Timothy, Paul says, no one is remaining with me except for Luke. The opening verses of both Luke's Gospel and the book of Acts are so similar that they suggest to us a common author. Indeed, as we're going to see momentarily, Luke ends, the, the Gospel of Luke ends with the ascension of Jesus and Acts begins with the ascension of Jesus, his being received back up into heaven. In the opening verse, Luke will mention his gospel. He'll call it his first or his former book, which suggests that he wrote the book of Luke with the book of Acts in mind. When the, when the gospel of Luke ends and Acts begins, there's no earthly reason for us to expect that 11 apostles and around 100 or so other followers would, within 30 years, become a global movement proclaiming the resurrected Christ, and yet that's exactly what we will see happen in Acts. We are here today because Acts really happened. If Acts didn't really happen, there would be no explanation for our existence here, far from the Middle East, knowing about King Jesus. The only reasonable explanation for our gathering here today is that Jesus really came, He really died, and He really rose, and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and He poured out the Holy Spirit to empower an authoritative apostolic witness to these earth-shattering realities. Until the 11th grade, I wanted to be an engineer. Math came easily to me. There was no subjectivity in the grading which I appreciated. You either got the math problem right or you got it wrong. If I happen to be a conservative and my teacher a liberal, or if I happen to be a liberal and my teacher a conservative, it didn't matter in math. There's no subjectivity in the grading. I mean, there might be a little bit of bitterness there still from the 11th grade English class that I had, but that's okay. I was fascinated by, by planes and rockets and wanted to be an aerospace engineer, but, but in the 11th grade I took, took U.S. history with Coach Pope at Northside High School and I was, I was hooked. We dove into the, the founding documents of our country and I, I became convinced and convicted in my spirit that as our country pursued the implications of the Declaration of Independence for all people, that somehow, some way we also began to lose the very things that keep a free people free. We wanted to do right, but in wanting to do right, we, we abandoned so much of what our country was founded upon and would, would make it a free country. And I went to college and pursued that conviction and studied policy and was headed down that road and running from the call of God upon my life. But somewhere along the way, God convinced me that though I might be right about our country and its politics and its founding documents, that there's a, there's a far more important history that I was largely ignoring, and it's the history of God's people. For as much as we should be interested in the documents that are preserved at the National Archives, there is a far more important document that shows us the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. It is the founding documents of the kingdom of God, a kingdom without end. So when we attend to the book of Acts, when we read the book of Acts, we're not reading about a, a country or a nation that will one day dissolve. We're reading about a kingdom that includes our forever family, our brothers and sisters, people that we will know and worship with forever. 
So as Marita writes, our goal in studying Acts is to allow its message to transform our hearts and lead us to a mission. We should approach the book of Acts as a people who are desperate to see the God about we are, whom we are reading move mightily in the present. So church, I want us, as we go to the book of Acts, to read the book of Acts like responsible citizens, not of the United States, but citizens of the kingdom of God, seeking to understand who we are as God's people, to know King Jesus and His mission in the world. The God who moves in Acts is the God who moves in, among, and through His people today. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we're going to get started looking at the Spirit of God working in His church, and I pray, working in us. If you are able, would you stand as we stand with me as we read the Word of God? In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You may be seated. Acts is about the continued work and teaching of Jesus, our ascended King. That's the first thing I want you to see. Luke says, hey, I I wrote a book about all that Jesus began to do and teach, Until he was received into heaven. And what's the implication if it was all about what he began to do and to teach? It's that Jesus has some more that he's going to do and that he's going to teach. In the Gospel of Luke, that that first or former book, Luke mentions Theophilus. And now here in Acts, he again mentions Theophilus. Back in Luke, Theophilus is most excellent Theophilus, which suggests that he was a Roman official of distinguished rank. Bible scholars suggest it's likely that Theophilus was called Luke's literary patron. In other words, he financially helped Luke to stop practicing as a medical doctor long enough to write the book and distribute it in the Christian faith family. Theophilus means friend of God or loved by God. Though he is a real historical person, the idea that's communicated to us by his name is If you want to be a friend of God, or if you want to be loved by God, you want to know about this Jesus that the Gospel of Luke tells us about His work until the time He was received back to heaven after His resurrection. And you're going to want to know about the work of this Jesus through His church as described in the book of Acts. At the end of verse 1 and the the first part of verse 2, Luke tells us, That it's all about what Jesus began to do and to teach until that day that he was received up to heaven. And and when Luke says that he covered all that Jesus began to do and to teach, he's he's using hyperbole, right? He didn't tell us how many times Jesus brushed his teeth every day. He didn't tell us what kind of sandals he liked to wear. 
There's a lot about Jesus' life that Luke doesn't cover when it says he taught us all that he began to do and to teach, meaning everything you need to know about Jesus' earthly ministry in order to trust him, believe him, and receive life in him, it's there in the gospel. It's a comprehensive treatment of the life of Jesus from the time of his conception in Mary until the time that he was received back into heaven as the enthroned, installed king of glory. And Luke says, I told you all about that in Luke, but I've got more to tell you. The word began is the word in verse 1 that should capture our attention. As a people, we focus so much on what Jesus did during his earthly ministry, rightly so, that sometimes we forget that Jesus is still working. Do you all know Jesus is working today? On the basis of of the scriptures that have been written. He's still teaching hearts today through spirit-empowered witnesses about the kingdom of God that's coming on earth as it is in heaven. He's commissioned His church to go in the power of Christ. And when we go, Christ is there. Jesus is still working. Now we just sang a song that says, It is finished. Which are Jesus' words from the cross in John 1930, and and the work that Jesus had to accomplish for redemption and salvation to take place has been finished, but the message of what our King has done still needs to go forth. People still need to hear about what Jesus has accomplished. They still need to know what He has taught. Jesus still works among His people today. Even though He's not physically present on earth, He is very much at work in the world. Yes, he, is, he has been to earth. He came and He lived and He died and He rose and He ascended, but He does not stop working. Acts records for us the activity of Jesus through the Word of God and the Holy Spirit in the lives of God's people as they powerfully witness to Him to the ends of the earth. In a book that is 28 chapters long, 20, uh, roughly 25% of the book includes 20 sermons. People proclaiming the, this truth that, that Christ has come and conquered the grave. <clears throat> Though King Jesus is in heaven, He keeps on working and teaching through the Spirit-empowered ministry of His followers. Peterson says this, The risen Lord acts and is present in the whole life of His church. He gives the mission to the apostles, and He goes with the church on that mission. When the church is persecuted, Jesus says He is persecuted. When the church preaches the gospel, Jesus is preaching. When, they are hearing, when people are hearing what is spoken, Christ is heard. So when we consider that Luke is, in a sense, a sequel, excuse me, Acts is, in a sense, a sequel to the book of Luke, we, we might expect to be disappointed. Have you ever noticed sequels are pretty much a letdown? I mean, in general, right? The first movie was so awesome, we're going to watch the sequel, it's going to be great, and then you're like, ah, it wasn't that great. And part of the reason you think it's not that great is because you thought it was going to be so great. But Axe is great! I mean, it's, it's, Axe is no Jaws the Revenge, 1987. All right? It, it's not the next Karate Kid, 1994. Axe is amazing! Jesus came and did what was necessary for salvation to happen and for His people to be gathered and built up and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And it's going to happen. I mean, Jesus is right there around Israel, but soon Jesus is going to be 
all over the globe by way of His Spirit. Acts proves that Jesus works through His people to impact eternity. God wants to use you in the upbuilding of His kingdom. Acts proves that Jesus is still working. That until He returns, He is advancing the unseen kingdom of God through His church in the world. A kingdom which is infinitely more powerful and more enduring than any of the kingdoms of this world. Jesus is the promised Son of God. The one who has all authority. He is the reigning Messiah. The Son of Man and of, of Daniel. He is the one who came to restore all things and He is now at work in His church to welcome repentant sinners from all nations into His kingdom. He has opened wide the gates to salvation and He is welcoming you in through the witness of His church. I think sometimes we forget the power of God. We excuse away everything, like, you know, all these problems that we face, you know, well, you don't understand me, or I've got this thing, or you don't know what happened to me, or what she said, or what he did. And I, and I, I don't want to deny the very real impact of trauma in someone's life, but I also don't want to minimize the power of the Holy Spirit to change your heart. God can reach you in your sadness. He can reach you in your depression. He can reach you where you are. And we live in this... I'm filtering right now. (sighs) Don't give your label more credit than you give God. Whatever your diagnosis, don't give it more credit than Christ who overcame the grave. Paul says, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power. God's power by way of the Holy Spirit for destroying strongholds in our life. There's some people in here this morning that got some strongholds that you're about ready to accept. And God is saying, I poured out my Spirit not just to make you mine and tell you that you have life in Christ, but that you would live it out. Stop accepting the strongholds in your life. The second thing I want you to see in this introduction, this prologue to Acts, is that the continued work of Jesus is based on the truth and the implications of His resurrection. If Jesus isn't raised from the dead, we should all go home and start working on our nachos and and buffalo dip to watch Tom Brady beat the Patriots tonight. I'm serious. If Jesus didn't conquer the grave, go home. you got a lot of other fun things to do. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's it. But if Christ did conquer the grave, and there's life everlasting in His name, that's a game changer. You were created with eternity written on your heart. You don't want to die. I've never met anybody who's like, yeah, I just can't wait to die. It's going to be great. 
unless they know Jesus, right? But even then, we don't want to just die. And if you do just want to die and get to heaven, then you've missed the message of Acts, which is Jesus is still working through you. Man, it makes me sick to find Christians who are like, well, I prayed the prayer when I was 10, and I'm going to wait till I'm 100, and I'm going to breathe my last, and I'm going to be in heaven. And between that time, I'm just hanging on to a prayer that I prayed. I don't have anything to do. What in the world is that? Yeah, he left you here to be an empowered witness to what God did to make you his through Jesus. You're not here to hang out. You're here to make a difference for the glory of Christ. To extend the kingdom of God. When I, when I read verse 3, my mind just begins to wander. I, I, Jesus was with the 11 remaining apostles. Remember, Judas has died, right? Judas betrayed him. We'll get to that later in the book of Acts. But, but he's with his 11 remaining apostles. And he's with them for 40 days talking about the kingdom of God. I, I get a little bit envious of that. I mean, I want a 40-day class with Jesus on the kingdom of God. I got some questions for him. There's so many concepts packed into verse 3, it's difficult to know where to begin. But we begin with the truth that Jesus suffered the cross. And when the Bible says that he suffered, it means he suffered and died. We know that because of what Luke said in the Gospel of Luke. That he suffered and he died and he rose again physically. If Jesus is not raised physically, your faith is dead. He's not some spiritual mist, he's not some ghost, he's not some apparition. He rose physically from the dead. Your body is a good thing. The reason you like to be in the body is because you like to see and taste and smell and hear. Because you were made to see and taste and smell and hear and touch in eternity with your king. Verse 3 says that Jesus presented himself alive after he suffered and died on the cross. There's, There's no denying for the apostles, that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. They were with Him for three years during His public ministry. They saw Him, they heard Him, and they knew that He died, and then He was physically with them. And they saw Him be ascended or received into heaven. His physical resurrection is the proof that those who are in Jesus by faith will be raised when Christ returns. The body is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Now, it has been corrupted by sin, but when Christ returns, those who are in Him by faith will put on immortality as we are raised bodily. Jesus' resurrection proves that those who trust in Him will enjoy a bodily existence with our King forever in the new heavens and the new earth. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. During His 40 days with the apostles, Jesus confirmed that he was alive by suffering on the death. Do you see this? By many proofs. Now now remember who's writing the book of Acts. It's the beloved physician, Luke. Now Luke is a second generation believer. Traveling with the apostle Paul. Writing this down and he's saying... The 11 apostles who were with Jesus for 40 days have convinced me that they're convinced. Now, this is a a medical physician. He knows what happens when people die. What what happens when people die? They die. That's it. But with Jesus, three days later, he rose from the grave, and for 40 days, he gave them 
many proofs. Now, this word proofs is used one time in the Bible, only here. It means not just proof beyond a reasonable doubt. It is the word that means decisive or incontrovertible proof. Repeatedly, for 40 days, Jesus puts the nail in the coffin of any argument that he is dead. In 1 Corinthians 15, 5, and 7, Paul tells us he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. In other words, when he writes this letter, he goes, if you don't believe me, talk to the people around you that saw Jesus raised from the dead. Then he says this, he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. In Luke 24, 42, Luke shows us that Jesus ate broiled fish in front of his disciples. In Acts chapter 10, Peter is going to say that the apostles ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Guess what dead people don't do? They don't eat and drink. But people who are alive eat and drink. I'm a little bit hungry. I'm going to eat something for lunch if the Lord allows me to live to live that long. We're going to see later in this chapter, chapter 1, that the kingdom of God is, is on the move. We're going to see later that the requirements for being an apostle, a big A apostle, included being with Jesus throughout His earthly ministry and being able to serve as an eyewitness to His resurrection. Jesus is still sending His church and His people out on His mission, but it is the first big A apostles who are set apart as the authoritative interpreters of Scripture for the earliest Christian communities and subsequent generation of believers. This is, this is how we know that we have what we need to know about Jesus and His kingdom because God spent this, Jesus spent this special 40-day period with His apostles explaining who He is and the kingdom of God is in light of His crucifixion and His resurrection and His ascension. The apostles saw Christ crucified and raised. They heard from the risen king about the kingdom of God. And what they learned is now captured for us as their authoritative apostolic witness to Christ in the word. Now this is important. Don't miss this. This is where some Christian traditions get off base. You might hear about apostle so-and-so. Well, I'm Apostle Tom Smith, or I'm Apostle so-and-so. And, and, and the implications in some traditions is that this Apostle is getting some new word about Jesus. We don't need a new word about Jesus. The, the word that we need about Jesus comes from the Apostles who spent 40 days with Him after His resurrection and before His ascension, and they have inscripturated for us authoritatively, decisively, once and for all, who Jesus is in light of the Old Testament. They have interpreted for us Christ according to the Old Testament. This is the King we must know and worship. So if, if you, there's an Apostle so-and-so telling you that they got a word or a revelation or some new knowledge, run away. Does that make sense? Alright, now, now are there small A Apostles? Yes, there's small A Apostles. We still send people out to the nations. We pray for them every week. We call them missionaries. But they are called to be sent out from the church with the once and for all apostolic message, which is codified in the Word of God. The kingdom of God is what Jesus told His apostles about. It's what He sent them out to proclaim. As Peterson writes, the kingdom of God is a comprehensive term used to describe the salvation that's already accomplished 
by Christ and available to be received in the present. You can enter the kingdom of God today because the king has come and shed his blood to open wide the gates for you to enter the kingdom. And yet, we will find in Acts, other times the apostles will say that there's they are striving to enter the kingdom through many hardships, as though the kingdom is, is some future reality. So sometimes we read about the kingdom and it's here, and sometimes we read about the kingdom and it's, it's coming. That's because the kingdom is now and it's not yet. We await the arrival of our king and the ushering in of the new heavens and the new earth. So there will be adversity in this life until our king comes. But when he comes, all that is promised of a restored and renewed creation will be available to those who are in Christ Jesus. On the cross, Jesus accomplished what is necessary for the Spirit to be sent out, poured out, and to apply Jesus' redemptive work to human hearts and give us citizenship in God's kingdom, a kingdom that's not of this world system, but which is nevertheless right now, through the witness of His church, overspreading the world as rival hearts are won by the Word of God faithfully proclaimed and the Spirit who is making hearts ready for our King's return. The period of 40 days in which Jesus taught the apostles between His resurrection and His ascension is not accidental. Why, why did Jesus stay with the apostles for 40 days? Why not for 7 days or 14 minutes? Why 40 days? Days, Because 40 days is a heavily symbolic period of time in God's Word. When God flooded the world, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, and then the rain stopped. After Israel's sin with the golden calf at the bottom of the mountain, Moses fasted and pleaded with the Lord on their behalf for 40 days and nights, and then God relented from His anger and spared Israel. When the Israelites wandered in the wilderness, they did so for 40 years, and then they were able to enter the promised land. In each of these cases, good things happen after a period of 40 days. What is Jesus saying by teaching His apostles for 40 days? He's saying good things are about to happen. The King has come. Access to the kingdom has made, been made available and you are going to go as powerful witnesses testifying to the fact that although the world system is intensifying in its hostility toward our King, we are nevertheless empowered witnesses to the fact that our King overcomes. We are living in great days. We are living after the 40 days in which the apostles were trained on the kingdom of God. We are living right now, church, in a time when Jesus says the fields are white unto harvest. And we are the workers in that field. We are living in days when our commander and chief is on the move through the grateful, obedient witness of his church. Do you believe that this morning? That you're living in good times. Everything we were looking for in the Old Testament has come in Christ and He's poured out His Spirit so people can be saved. We have a witness to that that we can trust in and God is conquering rebel hearts and bringing them into the kingdom through the preaching of God's Word, through the testimony of those who faithfully obey Him in their workplace and all over the world. But none of this would be possible. See, here's the challenge for the apostles. Jesus, you're leaving us. Like, we've been with you. We've been hanging on to your every word. We've seen your miraculous power. How are we going to do anything? 
How are we going to preach? How are we going to heal? How will we see the kingdom break into the earth without the king? We need power. We can't do it. We need divine power. We can do it when we're with you. But what will we do it when you're up in heaven and we're down here? Jesus says, wait for it. Wait for the promise of the Father. The third thing I want to show you this morning is that participating in the King's work, to participate in the King's work, we've got to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. We've got to have the presence of Jesus in our lives by way of the miraculous work of the Spirit. In Luke, Jesus' ascension is the end of the story, right? He's crucified, He's dead, He's buried, He's raised, He ascends. Whoop! End of story. Acts. The ascension of Jesus is the beginning of the story. Through His resurrection and His ascension, Jesus as we saw in Hebrews, is now installed as King of glory. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is interceding on behalf of His people. He is forgiving the sins of those who bow their arrogant, prideful hearts and receive Him into their lives by way of the prompting and the convicting and the transforming nature of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. The apostles will declare the King and His kingdom that life is available in Him, but they must wait the, await the promise of the Father, verse 4, which is what? What is the promise of the Father? It's the coming of the Holy Spirit and the immersion of their, or the baptism of their lives in Him, verse 5. The Father's promise to pour out the Spirit is, is found throughout the Old Testament. It's found in Joel 2, and Peter will reference that in Acts chapter 2, but it's also found in places like Isaiah 32, 14, and 15, the the palace is forsaken. In other words, Jerusalem is is fallen. The the people of God are being exiled. The populous city deserted. The hill and the watchtower will become dens forever. A joy of wild donkeys and a pasture of flocks. Listen to this, verse 15. Until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high. God promised the outpouring of Spirit. And what the Father promises in the Old Testament, the Son confirms. While staying with the disciples, verse 4, He tells them the exact same truth. Jesus is pointing them back to Luke chapter 24, 49, when He said, And behold, I'm sending the promise of My Father upon you. What promise? Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus' is mentioned in verse 5 of, John the Baptist's prophecy from Luke chapter 3, verse 16, that Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit is evidence that God's plan is unfolding. John knew that God's people would need not just repentance and transformation, not just repentance rather, but also divine power and transformation on the inside. It was only by way of the Holy Spirit's application of Jesus' life death, and resurrection to the hearts of fallen sinners, that any of this would be possible. What is needed is the miraculous application of what Jesus had done to the apostles' lives through the transforming baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
And that promise, a promise of the Father and of Jesus and a prophecy of John, was about to be fulfilled in their lives when? Not many days from now. What does not many days from now mean? It means very soon. In fact, it's going to be ten days later at Pentecost. So, what do we make of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? The disciples are already believers in Jesus, right? They've, they've seen Him, walked with Him, they believe in Him, they've already worshipped Him with great joy after the resurrection, but they need more than just mental belief. They need an inner, extraordinary power from God to magnify Him in the world. And now that Jesus has ascended, His apostles have died, and the Spirit has been poured out, there's no longer any distance between receiving the Spirit and knowing Christ. Does this make sense? So the apostles are physically present with Jesus, and Jesus has to ascend for the Spirit to be poured out so that people in the future can see and behold Christ. But now there's no separation between seeing and beholding Christ and being baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit. There's some, there's some traditions out there, there's some beliefs out there that hold, well, you come to Jesus, and then later you get baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's not the witness of Scripture. The witness of Scripture is, you believe in Jesus because you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit, which is synonymous with being filled with the Spirit, with, with being um, indwelled by the Spirit, having the Spirit come upon you. But in the apostles' case, Jesus was with them. So Jesus had to go away, and then they received the Spirit. Does this make sense? This is important. Because when you trust in Jesus, you get the Spirit. You don't get the Spirit, you don't get Jesus. The only way you have the life of Jesus applied to you is the Spirit would apply it to you. So having the Spirit and being a Christian are contemporaneous events in the life of the Christian. We are not converted by the Spirit only to wait around for the Spirit to come upon us later. When you truly trust in Jesus, you get the Spirit of God. Everybody following on that? I don't, I don't want us to miss that. Paul says we are all baptized into one body. You can't be baptized into Christ without the Spirit coming upon you, changing you, transforming you in the hearing of the gospel and believing on Christ. So there's no such thing as a Christian today who's not been baptized by the Holy Spirit. However... I think where we as Baptists sometimes err is by being almost fearful of the Spirit's ongoing work in our lives. He doesn't just place you in Christ. He gives you power and comfort and encouragement day by day for life in Christ. We are commanded not to just be filled by the Spirit once, indwelled by the Spirit once, and the indwelling of the Spirit never leaves, but we are commanded to keep on being filled by the Spirit. So there is a sense in which we are indwelled by the Spirit permanently. We are sealed by the Spirit for the day of redemption. And yet, we need to wake up every day knowing that apart from the Spirit of God, we are powerless to do anything in the kingdom of God. The Spirit is mentioned 57 times in Acts. And, and while He converts us once and for all, we need to be filled by the Spirit. So it is certainly okay and appropriate, and we should as 
Christians and Baptists, we should pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit. We should pray when we encounter new gospel territory or a new job or a new challenge in in marriage and life and work. We should pray that God would purify our hearts, rid us of any sin that would prevent us from knowing His power, and that He would fill us, that He would anoint us, even baptize us for the work of magnifying Jesus. Why? Because our power will not do. If the apostles who walked with Jesus for three years and saw Him raised from the dead were powerless to advance the kingdom without the Holy Spirit, then what do you think we are? We are dust. We are nothing. We have no value whatsoever in the advance of the kingdom of God unless the Spirit of God does it in us and through us. We need the power of God which comes by way of the Spirit to magnify the Son of God who through His death and resurrection makes it possible for us to enter and then do the work of Christ in the kingdom of God. This is the message of Acts. So church, to participate in the reign of Jesus... The apostles would have to be vitally connected to Jesus by way of the Spirit. It was through the Spirit that Jesus gave gave the command to wait for Him, for His coming. And it would be, as we will see, by the Spirit that God's plan for a kingdom comprised of people from all nations would advance. In the Old Testament, the promised Spirit is always connected with the promise of a renewed people who would follow God and God's King from the heart. In the fulfillment of the Old Testament, Jesus has conquered the grave. He's been installed as our ruling and reigning King. And He has poured out His Holy Spirit. There is no life and work in the kingdom apart from the Spirit who gives us divine power and new life to join in Jesus' work in the world. So I want to ask you, those online, those in the gym, those in this room, do you know the ruling and reigning King of glory. The one who left heaven to die and take your place. Who was raised on the third day and now lives and welcomes you in the preaching of the gospel and by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit to be saved and to enter a kingdom that is now not seen but will be seen and endure forever. I want to ask you, dear believer, are you filled with the Spirit today? Or are you ignorant of your need for the Spirit's power? Are you working in your own strength? Or are you working in the power of God? How would Christ have you respond to the message today? How would the King, by the way of His Spirit, who is very much present in this room, and in light of the Word that has been preached, how would God have you respond? What condition What malady, what stronghold have you accepted that God died to rid you of and give you the power to conquer? What place is God sending you to declare with boldness His Word? We must not be a people ignorant of our need for the Spirit of God. He is here. He is available. He is working. Would you bow the need of your heart to the presence of our King who ministers by way of His Spirit. Let's pray together. God in heaven, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the book of Acts. And I pray, Spirit of God, that You would move among us as You moved in the the first century. 
God, that we would see powerful demonstrations of your glory. That we would see your gospel jump over cultural obstacles. Lord, that there are places in the Roanoke Valley that that maybe we've mentally written off or not even thought of where your gospel needs to go and that you would use North Roanoke Baptist Church in getting the gospel there. And God, I pray that you would not find us to be a presumptive people. God, believing that, that because we got saved when we were younger 10 years ago or 20 years ago, that, that we're okay and that we can check out and, and ignore the work that you are doing now. God, thank you for reminding us that Jesus is still working. And God, give us hearts that want to be a part of your work in the world. We pray it for the glory of Christ our King and in His name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke Podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.